Let's go. You're listening to KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Yay area on 90.1 and across the world at KZSU.org. Welcome to Brands, Beats, and Bites, hosted by Daryl D.C. Cobbin and Larry Taman. Brands, Beats, and Bites stands at the intersection of brand, tech, and culture. We bring you interesting people and insightful points of view on what's popping and not popping in marketing, tech, culture, and beyond. DC and Larry are fascinated with the stories and people behind some of the best marketing in the business. No matter how dope your product, if your marketing sucks, your company may suck too. They both serve as managing partners at marketing consultancy Brand Positioning Doctors, where they help companies large and small, tech and non-tech, build better marketers so they can build great brands. What's happening, brand nerds? Good to be back in the building with you all again. Uh, uh, cannot tell you how much we appreciate you all listening to us and our, uh, and our guests. Uh, but we got something really interesting today. Like when you, we hear things like a couple of years ago, five, six years ago, cryptocurrency, like what is that? What is this cryptocurrency? Before that, you had this thing like branded entertainment, like all these fancy words for things. Now, brand nerds, we have entered the realm of NFTs, okay? <laughs> NFTs, okay? Non-fungible tokens. So today we have somebody in our brand beats and bites who's really big on the brands and the bites. We know the, band, the brands and the bites. And uh, we could not be more delighted to have this brother in the brand beats and bites lab with us today. LT, who do we have? Okay, DC, you know we're real excited to welcome Matt Wilburn to our virtual house today. Matt, welcome. Thank you much. So Matt, we, we got to walk uh, the brand nerds through your really interesting and I may say very unique background. So brand, Matt earned a BA in communications at the University of Utah. And after graduation, he ends up working for Weeder Nutrition International and in market research. I don't want to get on too much of a tangent, but for you brand nerds who don't know it, Weeder is Joe Weeder who was really the father of bodybuilding and sports nutrition. And he founded Weeder Nutrition in 1936, which is considered the first sports nutrition company. If it works, Matt, would love to hear some Joe and or Weeder stories. All right. So after Weeder, though, Matt moves over to IRI, which along with their rival Nielsen is really a standard bearer for syndicated market research, especially in the consumer, in consumer products, or as in insiders like to say CPG, where DC and I grew up. So Matt is tasked with working alongside many large CPG clients and brands at, at IRI. He really excels there with three major promotions in seven years, ending up there as this SVP of client solutions. So Matt's humming along in market research and brand nerds, we have mentioned this many times on the show where we have had multiple guests who started in research and ended up in big places. Well, Matt's another one. At this juncture, Matt goes back and earns an MBA at the prestigious Northwestern University Kellogg School of Management and he then pivots to a role outside market research where he le leverages his wonderful MBA degree and his great CPG experience to join Yahoo as senior category director of CPG. In his leadership position, the CPG vertical becomes the fastest growing vertical at Yahoo. 
So while, while Matt has really been involved in marketing his whole career, he now obtains a major opportunity to join consumer electronics company Cricket as CMO. Did I pronounce that right, Matt? You got it. Cool. And he helps launch and lead the marketing of this brand that generates more than a billion dollars in retail sales. Yes, billion with a B. So after all this success, Matt decides to jump into the tech world and entrepreneurship where he co-founds Daz3D and Tappy. Matt is president of both companies where he leads enterprise and direct-to-consumer, also known as D2C, sales and marketing, along with product software, web development, and strategic partnerships. The company serves mobile, game, and AR and VR developers and CG artists in 167 countries. Also, with his ever-curious nature in this foray into deep tech, Matt goes back and completes executive education programs and MIT in both artificial intelligence and blockchain. So lastly, Taffy, as DC alluded to, is really on the forefront of non-fungible tokens or better known by the acronym of NFTs. They are partnering with different companies, including our old friends at Coca-Cola, where they recently launched the first Coca-Cola NFT. And it was one of the highest gro grossing single NFTs sold on OpenSea, selling for more than $575,000 in extended time bidding. Lots to learn from this man on NFTs and a whole lot more. Welcome to Brands Beats and Bites, Matt Wilburn. Thank you so much, LT. I think that's a that, that's better than having a walkout song. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, he does this remarkably well. <laughs> I want him to sing it well. next. Like you can do that on a one-on-one -on -one Zoom, you know, with, you and I'll do that later. You can sing that whole thing. It'll, it'll be pretty nice. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely, brother. Uh, absolutely. Before we go to our get comfy section, I want to touch upon this Coca-Cola NFT uh, that you all just did successfully did. Congratulations on that, by the way. When I see numbers that are associated with NFT sales, I begin to think about brands learning how to unlock their value in, in a new domain. And um, um, no one knew, well, actually, I won't say no one. Uh, I would say maybe you all knew. Few of us knew when you all did that NFT drop for, uh, for Coke that it was going to pull in a, uh, a half million dollars at that point. You, you, you were just trying to figure it out. What that indicated, though, is that uh, there were some lovers of the Coca-Cola brand and or some very savvy investment folks that ascribed the value to that NFT where they said, we're gonna drop a half million dollars. And, uh, and I'm, I'm curious, Matt, in your opinion, since you are in this business and deal with brands, how often are brands in some way aware of what their value could be in an NFT space? And how often is it that they are just like insanely out of touch mm -hmm. with, with, the, with the true value? Yeah, it's a it's an awesome question, um, and and uh, you know if the if the Coke NFT is any indication, I, I think the answer is there's there's a lot more value than than people probably think. Mm -hmm. By um, I mean, this is Coke as a company is is atoms, not bits, right? I mean that's they sell things. Yeah, but there's you know a new digital economy. There's a um, you know, when I say new, I don't just mean like the last 20 years of e-commerce. There's a digital economy that blockchain represents and, the, and cryptocurrency 
more broadly is 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 a, is a part of um, where value isn't doesn't have to be locked in those atoms. There's value that can be created at exclusively digitally, and that's what that NFT is. Um, for the most part, that NFT, the Cook NFT, is is digital value. It's digital energy that's monetized to the tune of of a you know half a million dollars. Um, and yeah, I when when we set out to do this with Coke, I I think there um, there was that question like, what do we think? You know, and it was one of those things no one wants to ask. Like, what, yeah, yeah, what, what's this going to generate? And it's like, I don't I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to, you know when it's an auction based, uh, when the mechanics are auction based, you're not setting the value, which is very yeah. different from most brands. Yeah. The value, you're in price discovery mode from the go, from day one, you have no idea what's gonna happen. So um, I, I will say that um, that the team, I think generally everybody involved in it was, was really pleased with that. Shouldn't be a shocker. You guys all have history with Coke. It's a, yeah. it's a brand yeah. that has sold product in three centuries. Yep. It has collectability over three centuries. There's not that mm -hmm. many brands on the planet that have like mm -hmm. that kind of that 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 kind of history. Mm -hmm. So you're building, you're creating a product that looks forward, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of relies on this three centuries of collectability. But somebody, yeah, somebody savvy saying, I'm a Coke fan, I'm an investor, I I, I get that there's value that's going to be unlocked here. And I'm I'm trusting that the value is going to increase over time. And that is kind of a relationship with the brand. You trust the Coke brand to continue to evolve and continue to deliver, mm -hmm. uh, to deliver value. Mm. Pretty cool. Yeah. Very cool, Matt. Listening to you speak, I am now conceiving of a, um, a way to humanize the NFT. And I've got two things. The first is, uh, NFTs represent the democratization of a brand's value. Mm -hmm. That's one. And the second is for those who are listening to this podcast, Matt, and are in the dating world, <laughs> if you as a single person were an NFT and it worked like that, what would your value be? Okay. <laughs> yeah. what, would, what, would, what would your truth not the one you think it ought to be but what would the market say your value is but but i, I digress i digress. no 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 i i think this just turned into a black mirror episode i think yeah. like, <laughs> that future is not too far out <laughs> all right uh all right so now to the get, get comfy section i would have skipped over this because we just actually had what was the equivalent of a get uh, comfy section but for those of you who are not seeing this because we, we're on a zoom with uh with matt who just took a swig of his water that has a branded taffy logo on it he had it perfectly placed in screen <laughs> uh so we're looking at uh his um his living quarters and uh, matt has a picture of muhammad ali uh behind him prominently uh featured uh, it is it is a dope photo uh, I have a special connection to Muhammad Ali myself. I may talk about that a bit later, but I understand, brother, you are actually the creator of this piece of art. So tell us about this, man. Yeah, thank, thank you. Um, um, yeah, I painted that. It's a, it's a four foot by five foot uh, acrylic on canvas. 
Um, wow. I, I, I grew up as a, I grew up as an artist. Uh, I, I spent all my, I spent a lot of my free time um, either outside uh, or, you know, doing art. I did this all, all the way through high school. And I, I, uh, I decided not to pursue, I had an art scholarship, decided not to take that. Oh, wow. Um, I, okay. I didn't, I didn't think like I'd be a successful artist professionally. Wow. Because I didn't think I'd take direction well. <laughs> uh, I didn't in high school <laughs> on, on uh, you know, the kind of, uh, you know, projects that I, that I worked on. And I thought, man, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a rough go if I, you know, work in an ad agency and I'm, I'm having to, you know, crank out work for, for brands um, if I don't believe in them. And mm -hmm. I was like, this is, I, I can see this conflict. I can see this. And, and art for me is something I enjoy doing. It wasn't something I wanted to be paid to do. Uh, you know, like mm. some, something about the dynamics uh, in my mind at that time changed. And, and it, it led me to think like, uh, you know, I'm going to, this is, this is just a, a talent or, a, you know, something I have that's a, a pastime. So I never really pursued it. I shelved um, creating any art for two decades, probably. And I, I just started painting again mm. a couple of years ago. And Muhammad Ali, I, I, I love when we get to that, if we get to that on this uh, in our time together now or later, I'd, I'd love to hear that connection. Um, I, I have a, a strong affinity for his life and for taking a couple of the best years of his uh, fighting potential and shelving those on principle and, you know, having the, the fortitude to withstand um, so much pressure to stand with his convictions, his changed convictions mm -hmm. that he felt deeply about. And, you know, he, he said things that were really unpopular yeah. and did things that were really unpopular and never yeah. wavered. And, I mean, what he a, was really what unpopular yeah. and, started, and he was really unpopular and he didn't care at the time. Yeah. Embraced it. Right. He leaned right into that. Right. I did. Yeah. Right. He made people feel really uncomfortable. Yeah, like on purpose, like you said, it wasn't, it's not, I don't care. And I'm taking that to the next level of, I'm going to make it hurt. I'm going to make this uncomfortable for other people. Um, and, and he did that. Um, anyway, I have amazing respect for him as a person and respect, obviously he's, he's one of the goats. Uh, and, and so I have a, a, a lot of respect and man, what a, what a fun subject and, and good reminder to have in the house. That's awesome. So D now you brought it up, man. You got to tell your Ali story. Go. <laughs> I'm going to make it efficient. Matt, Larry already knows this. Matt and brand nerds. In my lifetime, I have been blessed to meet all manner of uh, famous people, quote unquote. I have never requested anything from any of them, least of all an autograph. But I do have one autograph. And it's from that man, Muhammad Ali, that he offered to me. He offered the autograph to me. He, um, he said to me when he and I were on a plane together, I was at Coke and um, I led doing the deal to bring him to Coke as a partner. And he uh, is uh, saying something to me uh, at this time, you know, uh, Parkinson's has, has, is well set in. And he's saying to me, you're, you're great. And I'm like, what? He's like, you're great. 
like looking right at me, man. And I'm thinking to myself, this is Muhammad Ali, <laughs> the greatest, telling me I'm great. Surreal. Yeah. Watching him interact with folks, watching him do magic tricks. And then also important for him to show how the magic trick worked because he wanted to have folks see into things and analyze them and not be duped. I don't know how many people, to your point, Matt, would trade whatever they're doing, accountant, lawyer, customer service agent, or athlete, if you are literally the best in the world at what you do, and literally one of the best to have ever walked the planet at what you do. So you're an accountant. You are the best accountant in the world at the time. And people look to you as an accountant and say, you are one of the best accountants in all of time. Would that person give up that accountant's job because of their principles? I admire this man. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I'm inspired by this man. And when Larry told me about your picture, uh, I said, oh, this, this is absolutely something that we need to talk about. And I'll also end with this, Matt and Larry. There have been countless Zooms now that I've been on where that man's picture yes. is behind the folks that are on the Zoom. There's just, there's a universality to who he is and to what we as humanity can be by looking at that dude. Yep. So rest in yeah, power, awesome. Muhammad yeah. Ali. Yeah, rest in power. And I have to tell the brand nerds out there, go watch the Ken Burns doc. That's ah, uh, yeah. on TV. It's, it's fantastic. Because yes. you're younger and you really don't understand that, you know, we're, we're, we're on, we grew up with watching him. And so if you, if you didn't get that pleasure, you need to watch it. Yeah. Good shout out, Larry. Yeah, for sure. DC, thanks for sharing that, man. Welcome, brother. Thank you for sharing as well. Should we move to the five questions, D? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, All right. Matt. Uh, five questions. Larry and I go back and forth, ask you questions, um, alternating until we get to five. I have the, uh, the pleasure of being able to posit the first one. So Matt, all of us have had this experience where we get intoxicated with a brand. We get into this thing. We love this brand or the brand experience. It could be a physical thing. It could be an entertainment thing. It could be a band, whatever it is. We get so into this thing, Matt, that we're like, oh man, this is like love, like my first love. What was that brand experience for you, brother? All right, well, I'll, I'll go back. Uh, I'll, I'll take a little like walk back in time then to junior high. <laughs> I think like any kid, you know, you start, that's about the age you start being kind of self-aware yep. of how you represent yourself to people and you start paying attention to social cues maybe differently. Mm -hmm. And I was in seventh grade and uh, a kid who was older, a kid named Rocky, 
He was a year older than me, had a, he rocked a pretty cool mullet. He rolled into school wearing Air Jordan twos. Mm. <laughs> the white with the black and the red sole. And dude, they were the, they were the pinnacle. Like I connected aspirationally with the brand with Air Jordan. And this was, I wanted those so bad. <laughs> and I and I couldn't afford them. I mean, they were like massively out of my my price range, and and uh, no one else had them. He's the only kid in school that that ever had them. Um, and you know, it was such a flex. And MJ wasn't even known for all the things we know him for now. I think that was the year. I think those came out the year he only played eighteen games. The second year. Yep. Uh, he was far from like transcendent yet. This would be like Muhammad Ali's second fight, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it was yeah. early rounds still. And, and there was something about the brand that, that captured my attention, um, captured my imagination. And I mean, it speaks to the power of brands being able to like, you know, become iconic and have like this headspace um, where like those shoes are the physical manifestation of an icon, of an ideal, of an aspiration. Mm. It's just transcendent. And mm. of course, at that age, I didn't have a marketing vocabulary. I didn't have a business vocabulary. Right. I just knew that I wanted those. I just, it was just this obsession that I wanted them. Uh, and I never got them. Um, I actually, I shouldn't say never. I didn't get them at the time. I, right. I got a, a, a good friend, uh, other Matt, who knew this story. And uh, a few years ago, tracked down a pair of oh. original original air jordan twos oh that's dope that hey, that's, that's some coin matt that's some coin in the box i've oh. only worn them i've worn them once I, I i was like i can't leave them in the box forever they gotta they gotta come out but um you know i fast forward um, when i think of like now that i do have a, a some some brand um you know experience I think of, I fast forward 30 years and I'm in Tokyo and I'm, I'm at the Nike store in Tokyo and I'm, I'm looking at shoes. I'm looking at like Westbrooks, but they're Westbrooks, but they're also Jordans. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And when, when you have like the stars of the game who in their own right have shoe contracts and, you know, but their brand is elevated by being, secondary to the Jordan brand. Yeah. Yep. I, well, how do you, how do you top that? That's the goat <laughs> on goats. Like, like LeBron has, like we, we don't even, we can't even get in that debate, you know, like, but LeBron has Michael Jordan on his Jersey. So who's the goat? Yeah. You know, yeah. And, 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 but from a branding perspective, I think it's just, it's brilliance. And it's, um, it just speaks to the power of, of being able to connect emotionally uh, with people of all walks of life that find something that is a, an emotional hook for them. And I, I've gone on a shoe tear since uh, other Matt bought me those shoes. I, I, I had a, a meeting with Nike a couple of months ago and I was like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to show the brand love. And I laid out like 35 pair of Nikes. Oh, wow. Some, ha some haven't been worn. Some have, I threw in a couple of Adidas just to like not suck up too much. Uh -huh. I put a couple of my, my favorite three stripes in there too, but um, I, I think that was the first experience and look at it. I mean, decades later, that was the first brand that really captured my imagination. It hasn't let go since. Mm. Do you know what I'm struck with? 
What's that Matt can still go back to seventh grade and tell you Rocky's name. Oh yeah. How, like, you know, that's how imprinted it on it. And I would imagine that Rocky was somebody that um, was an influential dude in the school, right? Like somebody people looked up to. Well, I couldn't talk to him. He's a year older than me. I didn't, that's I didn't my point. That, you know. Yeah. yeah that, 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 no, that's I, influencer marketing before there was a, a, a term for it is my, yeah. is my point, right? Like, what, and, what, and, what a flex. I mean, yeah, that was yeah. like junior high. You, like, it's, it's unapproachable. I can't, I can't even talk to you. Right. Yeah. All, all I know is uh, Rocky was rocking the mullet. Okay. That, that's all. <laughs> I, that's, that's all. Just, I, that image is burning. It's like, that's, man, that's just so cool. But like, think, think, <laughs> think of um, like the Jordan, the secondary market for Air Jordans, if I'm not mistaken, is the second largest shoe brand by like revenue in the world, the secondary market. I didn't know that. Jordans. That, makes that's sense. A, yeah. that does make sense. And that's that the power sense. of the brand. Thanks for sharing that. Oh, that's yeah. a really interesting factoid. Yeah. That's a, oh, that's an interesting factoid, man. Wow. Well, uh, LT, you ready to hit the next one, bro? Definitely. So, uh, so Matt, uh, who's had or is having the most influence on your career? Um, great question. I, I, um, I haven't had a, a mentor, you know, longitudinally through, through my career, not in a, a traditional sense, like the, you know, that Phil Jackson, you know, mm -hmm. Zen master. Um, but that's not to say that I haven't had people who looked out for me and probably did things for me. I, I wasn't even aware mm -hmm. of that pushed my career and pushed me to be better and opened doors for me that I didn't even know were there, that were closed. And, and it, I'm, I'm grateful to those people and they go back. I mean, there are people like that still today that I work with today. And they're, whether that's, you know, my business partner, Jim, it's the, um, the people that make up our executive team. It's our, our investors um, and, and board members who support me. Um, and I recognize that today in a way, and I'm appreciative of that in a way, because it went all the way back to me being like the very first part of my career, having, having people who looked out for me um, and who, who pushed me. Um, and I, I've, I've made contact with a handful of these people to say thanks. Uh, you know, people I haven't talked to in a long time. Um, but they, they were really instrumental in, in shaping the early decisions and the, and the doors that were open for me. I was, I was maybe a little bit oblivious early in my career um, about the possibilities um, that I could achieve, the things I could do. And so having those people who, who expanded kind of my view and made my imagination grow, the, 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 what I could see in the landscape around me to make that brighter, and like wider that aperture, um, really valuable. And I've, I've tried to pay that forward to people. Um, I've, I've tried to do that same, um, that same thing. Um, you know, I, I go back to those people and, and they're, a, a lot of those are in those early days were in my CPG days at, at IRI. I had people on the, the West Coast when I lived in San Francisco, um, you know, Bill Townsend and, Mary Lou Demers and Kevin Crawford, people who pushed me 
to shake myself out of what I was doing and like literally just put me on the path. They didn't have to do that. I, you know, there was nothing. And, and in some of those cases that meant having me go to other parts of the organization, um, which was, you know, selfless to take a resource that is performing and, and do something that was for my career was in my best interest, not necessarily even, you know, for, for them. And I, I'm, I'm just really deeply appreciative of people who are selfless that way and who have given me that. And um, I, I wouldn't have a career. I wouldn't, I like without some of that, those early kicks and prompts and like, really, this is what I should do. Um, And, and those doors being opened up, I I really owe them a a debt of gratitude. That's deep. I love the way you even just explained that. Um, And it it sounds like you've done it privately and now you've given a, a public shout out to them. So that's really cool. That's cool. Yeah. Larry, you ready, you ready me to take the next one, bro? Take the next question. All right. You're a bit of an odd bird, Matt. <laughs> Go on. In a good way. In a good way. When we watch rockets go uh, into orbit, SpaceX or uh, Virgin or um, even NASA rockets, to our eyes, it looks as if they are going straight up. But that's a deception. What's actually happening is they are moving in different directions, these rockets, and they are they are then adjusting so that they can continue a trajectory up. That's what's really happening. And that's a bit like your career. You, you, Uh, have been a researcher, you've done analytics, you've done brand, marketing, tech, and entrepreneurship. So you've had all of these little terms and to the description, the wonderful description, I might add, of Larry, of your career, it just looks like you're just headed up. But you had some turns, some adjustments in order to get to to north. But I don't want to talk about any of that. Okay, I want you to share your biggest F up in your illustrious career and what you learned from it. Right on. <laughs> you don't want me to talk about my strengths. You want, let's, let's get into weaknesses. Oh, oh no, right no, that'd be so boring. No, We've no, already, no. We had we 30 fun. minutes of strengths. Now we gotta get to it. <laughs> we, we, we'd already, we, we, we've done the strength piece. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, you guys know, like my, my early career days were, were analytics. Um, and I think I, I think in, I can share with you F ups probably more than I can successes or, or second guessing. And, uh, cause they're instructive, right? I mean, like to your point, that, that rocket's making adjustments. That's keeping it from like, you, you get the trajectory off in early days and a rocket, a rocket's coming back down. It's, yep, it's gotta right. stay on course. That's right. And so being able to recalibrate in real time, like I, that, that is a strength um, and to, to be able to, to be comfortable to do that. If I could, if I could say like, if I could rewind me, if I could have a mulligan and I can, everybody can, you just change, you just work, you just, you just get self-reflective. Um, one of the things I, I wish I could go back and tell like an earlier version of myself um, would have been to take more risk to follow a little bit of gut. And, and part of the reason I'm saying that is like, 
analytics, and maybe you guys have a different experience than this, but analytics, I think, can make you cautious. And mm. analytics was such a big part Interesting. of the early years in, in my career because you need time to test things. You need to set them up properly. You got to control for things. Um, you, have, you need time for the test to execute. You need time to reflect back on the results and to compare those to other results and previous tests and look at differences. And, and I think that can make you cautious. And I wonder if maybe me having such an early um, affinity for analytics made me a little bit cautious to not take risks. And I'll give you an example. I mean, I'm sitting there in, in San Francisco and, and like when I was at IRI, uh, and I'm working with Clorox and Clorox is, they're just baller. They're best in class at what they do in, in CPG, but they were getting just hammered. Their ranks were getting thinned by the dot-com across, boom, across the bay. Mm -hmm. There was a letter that went out. It was like, sort of like this jobs schooling moment for me. There was an article that was, that was published and it was one of the group directors at Clorox in marketing saying, I just, at the end of the day, I, I left to go join .com because I didn't want to tell my kids when they asked me what I did during the revolution, kind of high-minded, but what I did during the revolution, I didn't want to say I sold cat litter. Mm -hmm. And it was like such a gut punch to me because I'm like sitting there, literally, I, I knew those people and I worked with those teams. And I was proud of what we did together. And like, mm -hmm. I'm looking out the window of my office there, looking at San Francisco. I was at the epicenter of the .com boom and somehow it took me five more years to find my way into tech. And I don't regret, I mean, like I had a, those were awesome years. I learned so much and, and I'm, I'm super pleased with things, but if I could just like have an alternate universe and, and wonder what it would have been like with my trajectory, if it would have been a straighter shot up DC, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what would that have been like? But I look back on me and I go, dude, that's probably, a, why didn't you do that? That was cautious mm. i had i had i had family to, to feed and i know that plays part of it too yeah but yeah, no doubt. you could just strip away all those things it wasn't the only time in my career where taking a taking a risk um like if i could if i could uh if i could run a play on fourth down more i would mm. Uh, so, so, would Aaron, so would Aaron Rodgers, but I digress. I love that story. That, Matt, that was deep that, that Matt just told us. And there's a lot to learn from that. But, you know, we can move on. But I just want to call out Matt that this is sort of like saying he works too hard. You know what I'm saying? We're yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I... Then I, I'll cut off the part. You guys can edit out the part where I learned something good from no, it. No, you no, can just leave good. it at, <laughs> leave it at, too I didn't good. take risks enough. I was too too damn calculated and not taking enough risk. That's, that, should we go to the next question, D? Let's do it, brother. Okay. So Matt, you know, uh, we, uh, we always tailor this to our guests. And, uh, and again, obviously we've, uh, we've alluded to the NFTs um, and, you know, you really being an expert, you and, uh, and, and your, your, uh, company Taffy. So given all that's happening with NFTs, can you provide just a quick breakdown for our audience of what NFTs are and what our, what our smart brand nerds in our audience really need to know? Yeah, sure thing. Um, so like NFTs by definition, it doesn't help. 
you know, it doesn't give you any more understanding, you know, what it stands for. We should call them MFTs, you know, like <laughs> with the way DC was describing it at the top, like, yeah, these are cool. There's value here. Let's unlock it. Um, but NFTs, it stands for non-fungible token, which is just jargon. I mean, it, it could not yep. be a worse, like somebody needs to rebrand it. Somebody Definitely. needs to go back in a time machine. And maybe that'll happen down the road, that it'll, it'll, it'll become um, more accessible, like the language around it. But you know, I get people asking the question of why, why would I buy NFTs? I just don't get it. But like, it's kind of a cop-out, like take a little bit of time to research it and apply it into your own, your own filter. And you start to get why, even if it doesn't resonate with you, you get why it exists and why, why it has meaning. And I, and I think of like, I didn't collect baseball cards growing up, but I know people who did. And I, and I, it, and that is a great analogy for me that I had friends that had like binders where they had cards all you know displayed in plastic and then the crappy cards they put in you know a shoe box <laughs> and um but those ones that were valuable and meaningful you show off and you share and you flex right like they're meaningful socially they, they there's some currency for you in that but you're also hanging on to thinking like when i'm 16 i might be able to buy a car if i sell all these i got wade boggs rookie card daryl strawberry's rookie card i'm gonna sell these um so there's a there's there's an investment component to it too. You hope that the value will increase because of its scarcity. And an NFT is a digital version of that baseball card, that trading card. It is people live, the, if, the, if the pandemic didn't teach us anything else, it's that people can live online. Like we're doing this, we're not even in person. Mm -hmm. And the more our lives transfer and the social interaction transfers to being online, so does everything else, your currency, the, the transactions, the way you, um, the things you buy can exist online in a way they, they couldn't and have value a few years ago. Um, so those trading cards is what an NFT represents today. It's something that you think has value. And fiat currencies like the US dollar or the euro, euro only have value because we all agree they do. Right. And NFTs are the same. Mm -hmm. if, if I look at CryptoPunks and I'm like, yeah, it's just pixel. It's just art. It's just a, it's an image or Beeple's you know, $69 million piece that sold at auction and you go, yeah, but I can get it online. I can get that. I can get an image of that. I can blow it up and put it on my wall. Well, then why do people collect art? And I can print out a picture of Daryl Strawberry's rookie card, but it's not the same thing. It's not authentic. It's not, it's fungible. So non-fungible means it can be, it's, it's exclusive and it can be verified. It's scarcity can be verified and that conveys value in the same way that gold does in the same way that that, that US dollars do. And so, I mean, like at its core, that's what an NFT is. That's why you would buy it and collect it. It has some social currency um, and it has what you hope, it has an appreciating value because of its scarcity and, and the demand that it will have in the future. That's the starting point. And I'm gonna stop, but that's kind of the starting point of an NFT is, and then you start going down the rabbit hole and that value unlocks of what where it's going. And that can be a separate topic if you guys wanna, dive into that, but does that answer the question of like, what I, I an NFT you a, is? You did a great job. And, and, and again, you know, we know enough to be dangerous, uh, maybe at best, but, um, and, and that's one of the reasons why we're loving having you on here, because I think you did a, an incredible job of, uh, of summing it up. Do you have anything to add? Should we go to the next question? Quick add, and then to the next uh, question. And Matt, you really broke that down. Yep. Again, I'm thinking of ways to humanize uh, NFTs. This to me is about uh, what we as humans decide is real. 
long ago with your baseball card analog, we humans decided that this baseball card here that I'm holding is a real thing. And not everyone has it. Some people have it, but they don't have the one I have right now. So since they don't have the one I have, it's real to me. And I can show other people, hey, this is real. I have it. And then some value gets ascribed to it. And then people will say, well, I don't get to your point, Matt. You know, you can print it out. You can blow it up and put it. Why would anybody pay for that if it's not really real? Like this thing over here, I've printed this thing. It's real as well. To which I would ask folks, if someone said, do you have someone in your life that loves you? Hopefully most people will say yes. If you then followed up and say, how do you know that love is real? They would pause and they would probably go, you know, I feel the love. And you say, well, how do you feel the love? Well, the way they look at me or the fact that they take care of me or the way they hug me and kiss me. Lots of these things are about perceptions of reality. The NFT is real because we perceive its value. Yep. Yeah. Just like I perceive the value of the love of my girlfriend. They're the same. Yep. Yeah, they're the same. So that's how I think about NFTs. Now, when you when you say how do you humanize it, you're touching on like when I say you can go down the rabbit hole. It's a really good rabbit hole to go down to or to go down because how that becomes humanized instead of an NFT just being art, mm-hmm. NFTs can be things like it, it, it's transforming the way a musician can monetize their work. Yes. Um, when, when you sell art in a gallery as an artist, you make money on the first sale and that's it. With NFTs, you can build smart contracts into the NFT where the secondary sales, those dollars flow back to the original creator creator in perpetuity. Go ahead, and go ahead so add that. That's an important <laughs> great ad. Yep. Great ad. Whole new value chains being added there. Sure. And I think the biggest thing that humanizes is, this is NFTs are form communities are build, building, like really, really strong identity and communities are forming around certain collections. Mm-hmm. You talk about Board Ape Yacht Club. Um, you talk about, that's a, that's a great example. Artifact, R-T-F-K-T uh, is, is, uh, is another one that you're going to see awesome things from where you're building community, where the NFT's value is not a visual representation or anything like that. It's being part of a community. So when Steph Curry or Mark Cuban spends $200,000 buying a board Ape Yacht Club, they're not buying it for the art or just for a profile pic. They're buying it because it attaches them to a community and someone else who's like an everyday person is now attached to if they bought in early or if they had 200 grand, but if they bought in early, what they can say is I'm a trendsetter. I saw something before everybody else, but now I'm, because I'm such a visionary, I'm connected to Mark Cuban. We're we're boys. We're part of the same. Yep. We're in the same club, literally and figuratively. That is a great point. And they open up value when you say humanize, how do you humanize this? The value becomes exclusive events and exclusive opportunities yep. to be a part of something where it's not just a physical item. It's not just a digital item. 
It's an experience and brands that build experience are better than brands that build storytellers, right? It's the experience of wearing Air Jordans attached me to a bigger community. Yep. You want to understand NFTs, you just got to recognize it's, a, it's just another version of those same principles that you guys talk about, about brands connecting with consumers and forming an emotional hook. This is just like on steroids because the technology connects people without boundaries and, that's, and without time without time constraints or, or, or anything, it, this, this connects people um, who otherwise can't be easily connected to each other. Love it. Do Dang. you wanna to go to the next question? I do, I do. Matt, what are you most proud of, brother? I'm most proud of my family. I know it's, it's cliche, um, but if people say that a lot, it probably deserves it, you know? Like yes. there's a reason that I, I'm proud of my family. I'm, I'm proud of um, being a part of their lives through, um, through everything I've done, that, that um, I'm proud of their accomplishments. I'm, a, I'm proud of their, um, not just accomplishments, but the kind of people they are. I think more that than anything they've done or are doing. I'm proud of who they are. And I, I know I get some credit as a parent. Um, and so that makes me proud when, you know, if that's the emotion we're, we're tapping there. I'm proud of who they are. Got to put some names. You can't just be talking nebulous like this, Matt. Like, give it, give it, the, give the names. And so I got, I got so five like, kids. I got this. Like, I got to hurt. I got a, I got a team plus a substitute. <laughs> you know, like, if I, if I get to get on the court with them, um, yeah, I, I have. Uh, I started. Um, I had kids unexpectedly early. I was still in college, and I was like, wait, we're having, we're having a baby, and we found out it was twins. So that's Ryan and Josh, and I was like. Wow. I got to get done with school. That speaks to when I said being cautious a little bit. I'm a little cautious in, right. in some of the choices I, I've, I've made and probably could have gone, probably, probably could have gone bigger. Um, but those, you know, having a young family was, yeah. was, was a part of that. Um, e and Abby and Jaden round out the rest of the crew all the way down to, to, uh, to eighth grade. Um, so I got... I got like a, we have a, I have a blended family. Um, I got kids that I like hanging out with. Um, I love doing things with them. I, so I'm proud of that. I, I think on my deathbed, if I have one of those like opportunities, you know, into the wild, I have my, my flashbacks. I'm not going to be thinking about NFTs. I'm not going to be thinking about yeah. my, my work, how I made a living. I'm going to yeah. be thinking about probably my family and the adventures I've had mm -hmm. in life. And who knows what else? But those are the things that that uh, when I when I when you look at those like that life arc, that trajectory, those are the things that that I think I'm gonna always be most proud of. Love it. It's dope. Shout uh, Ryan, Josh, E, Eddie, and Jaden, and all my chosen family. If I can have that, that means a lot to me too. Oh, your chosen family. Yeah. Done, brother. All right, Larry. Yes. Next, Next segment. segment. Yep. Yeah, let's do it. All right. What's popping? What's popping, D? What's popping? Matt, <laughs> our, we, we love our, this segment. This is our chance to shout out, shout down, or simply air something happening in around marketing today that we think is good fodder for discussion. So, D, you want to take the first one or shall I? Would you please, sir? All right. So, since we've got this amazing expert in place, we're going back to the well with NFTs. So, um, and I, I'm going to expand, just give a little quick preface by saying that 
I think maybe I'm going to speak for myself. I know maybe a little enough to be dangerous, but as one of the producers of this show, Joseph Anderson, who I may add is a Stanford grad and one of the smartest people I know, told me, he said, LT, you know enough to be dangerous. So I'm going to go with that. All right. <laughs> so I'm going to wade into the water. And, and um, Matt, with you as the expert, you can maybe provide some more clarity on a specific subject here. So it seems to me that if we thought properly and simultaneously uh, to move quickly on NFTs, but they can also, NFTs can obviously, we've talked about the revenue component from a brand standpoint, it seems like they could be also a really important part of the marketing mix as a way to communicate and emotionally connect with your target audience. Am I right to think of it in that way? You are 100% right. And it puts you right on the front end. Um, like that's tip of the spear thinking to say, NFT should be part of the marketing mix. Um, drop your Super Bowl ads, drop your reach and frequency metrics, drop, drop the more traditional ways of thinking about what, how the brand connects with people and think about how you unlock digital value out of a brand like Coat. That's, if you just think bits, not atoms, bits, not atoms, it's a hell of a lot cheaper to sell bits than it yeah. is to have supply chains and everything else you got to have uh, uh, to, to sell atoms. So should it be part of the mix for every brand? Dude, I don't think there's a brand out there that, that shouldn't, that inherently has a reason not to be participating uh, in, in what is, what will be kind of a web three technology in NFTs. I don't think it's a fad. I think there's a shaking out of what it means, but it's, um, I think NFTs in some form or another are here to stay and they're just going to get cooler. Wow. Very cool. Do you want anything to add to that? I do. If you're in the world of building a brand right now and you aren't all over this area called NFT, I hate to say it, you're not very bright. <laughs> and you got some <laughs> catching up to do. Yeah, you're not, not very bright. I say that because NFTs represent a consumer's identification and agreement on the value of your brand in bit format. Yep. And they are competing against others to set that value. In other words, they're paying to have a digital part of your brand. Now contrast that to some of these same people are paying streaming services not to see your shit. They're literally paying. <laughs> they're literally paying a monthly subscription so they don't have to hear right. one peep out of your brand. So in that dynamic, how could you not go, right. well, folks are paying not to see my brand and over in streaming and over here, they're paying to have a piece of my brand. I would imagine most marketers would say, I'll take, I'll take door number one <laughs> where they're paying to have a piece of my brand. <laughs> so I'm with you, Larry. Well, and to, and to add to that, we, a big part of what we talk about in our, in our consulting practice, uh, at brand positioning doctors and uh, Matt is that we talk about what we call the brand lover and that would be who would be uh, the tip of the spear in terms of the consumers and in B2B cases, the customers 
that you really see as that influencer to help everyone else out. And, and it seems like the NFT is a is such a logical and easy place and they want to pay to that point. Yeah. You know, they're the Rocky of, of, of Matt's eighth grade yeah. in, in real terms that to, to DC's point, they actually want to pay you. It's usually yes. the opposite. It is. So any business that can have a subscription, I mean, I, I look at BB and B, the 3B, 3D and 3B today, we got the 3D, 3B going on. Um, you guys could have NFTs, you could offer them to the community. It's a brand nerd NFT and it conveys value today in the form of exclusive content, in the form of, you know, being able to do uh, private events with you guys at CES in Vegas, whatever, right? But where it's going, your imagination, like if you get to that starting point, your imagination can go further. And this is what brands are doing. Like when I mentioned Artifact and Board Ape Yacht Club, people are buying NFTs on the promise, exclusively on the promise that it's going to add value in the future. Like a meta key that unlocks future value that we haven't even told you what it is yet. And they're selling for these keys and other, and other NFTs are selling just to be part of that community for 10, 15, $20,000 a piece. You don't have a reason to have 20 of them, though you could, and you could resell them later. But by having one, you're part of a community and, and that, that ownership of the community can be transferred um, and conveyed to other people. But you're, you're really betting on the promise of future value. So could you guys have NFTs that convey future value based on things you guys do you haven't even thought of yet? Hell yes. Yeah. And, so and that's, that, that's got cool value. I'm, I'm, it, incredible. Yes. Incredible. I'm gonna give mine now. I'm staying in the world of NFTs. Matt, you are at the, uh, at the bleeding edge of this and your company has been for a while now. What's popping for me is uh, marketers, uh, CMOs, COOs, and CEOs get to the C-suite because they're really smart. NFTs are something new. How do you explain to these very smart people why it's to their benefit to get involved with NFTs when they have a limited knowledge of what it is? What do you say to them? Mm -hmm. Great question. Yeah, it's an awesome question. Um, I, I had the good fortune of having like receptive folks that we're talking to. Champion, I'm, I'm repping champion right now. Tyler yep, Wilson yep, is the champion. Ty, Tyler came to us saying, we, we think we want to do NFTs. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about it. They weren't convinced yet. Mm -hmm. they, the mm -hmm. executives weren't yet. And, and the team at Champion did a great job of, of convincing him. I would say Coke was a little different in coming to it from like, hey, this is something we're committed to, to learning and being a part of. Mm -hmm. But if I, had to, if I had to say to people who just are resistant to it, they're probably not gonna, like, I'm, I might move on from that. <laughs> to DC, to your point, like, you gotta catch up. Like, I'm not sure I wanna wait. Like, if you can't get your head up to this point, there are gonna be other people that are. Yeah. You got to do some, some of your own legwork here to, yeah. to catch up and recognize, like, it tells me it's somebody who's not that tuned into their own customers. Yeah. And so like at the consultant in me, 
you know, having done that for the first part of my career would go, you know, there's, there's someone better out there for me to work with that isn't going to take that lift. Um, it's a great question. Like if, if, if you look at the way technology has always been, has always pushed humans, it's always pushed us. Um, it's created new industry. And that's what, that's what NFTs are doing. It's creating new economies and new ways of, of self-realizing and interacting with each other. And if, if you're not on that train, you need to catch up. Yeah, DC, I can't say any better than you did. Catch up. Yep. Like get up and just trust us and, or trust the people around you or hire different people, but you got to catch up. Don't get left behind. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. So Matt, do you have anything to add? Uh, 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 LT, anything from you on that? I want to just say one other, one other quick oh, thing. Oh, no, sorry, Dean. Go ahead. All good, brother. Um, Follow-up uh, question on the, uh, on the what's popping. The NFT market, because you it, the 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 way to monetize it, literally get dollar bills, y'all, or pounds or euros, um, you will have like Ethereum, like as a as a type of uh, currency, if you will. Yep. And uh, uh, Ethereum moves like currency moves; it has different values, and so you could drop. On uh, on on day one, whatever the day is, and you sell X amount, and because of the Ethereum value, and you cash that out, you get let's call it five hundred thousand dollars. But if you don't move and you drop it on another date, and you can have like the same number of people interested, but because the Ethereum currency value has changed, you could have two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You've done all the same stuff. Yep all the same assets, all the same people and half the money, which means speed That's of decision-making right. and execution is important. Matt, how do you get people to move yes. at the speed of the market on this, on this stuff? Such an, such an awesome question. Um, and you're right. Like there's a certain, certain volatility, mm -hmm. yep. but that, um, it can be 500 one day, it can be 250 the next day, and it yep. can be seven, 750 the next day. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, there's a timing, like marking to market, like there's, you get into this whole like speculative thing and it's a roller coaster ride. And if you do this, you go down, you go down another rabbit hole, but the speed, um, I, I, I think um, this can be done in a matter of, you can do this if your goals depending on what your goals are, you could, you could be executing a, a thoughtful NFT campaign in a matter of weeks if you have the, the willingness as a, as a decision maker to do that. You can take months and do it extremely well. Um, I, think, uh, I, I think the speed component here is just as fast as you can tolerate learning new stuff. And, and like the incentive isn't just the financial aspect because the value could drop again. You know, the value could drop and no matter yeah, how fast right. you are, the value could still right. drop. Yes. The value is inherent to being fast at decision-making and fast at spotting trends. Like there's value beyond the monetization right. in learning fast and, and just getting in. And if you're, if you're comfortable with test and learn, do it. Mm -hmm. If you got to have things be like buttoned up, start buttoning them up right now. If it takes right. you longer to, to get things done. All right, I'm gonna say this last thing and then I'm out. I know I'm, uh, I'm, I'm running a bit long here on this, but I'm just fascinated by this area. You talked about bits, not atoms. There's another reason why I believe that's a brilliant phrase. 
when you're in the Adams business, say you're Procter and Gamble, and you're going to release a new kind of Tide Pods, you're working on um, cleanability of the pods, color of the pods, packaging, uh, manufacturing the pods and the packaging, shipping out the pods inside of the packaging, getting it on shelf. And then after a customer comes in and ring it, then that goes to whoever the retail partner is, say Walmart. <laughs> then after Walmart does they th their thing, then you get your money, Procter & Gamble. Okay, that, that's when you get your money, all right? When you did in the, in the NFT world and VIX, you drop it on day one, yep. you got cash yeah. immediately. <laughs> yeah, yep. immediately. But anyway, I you know, and, but DC, then I go, well, I, like, if I can riff on that, I want to go to P&G and say, you know what? Tide Pods in the real world, everything you just said. Yeah. And they clean my clothes, make me smell good, yeah. make my clothes clean. Yeah. Tide Pods in the metaverse, yeah. digital speak, a Tide NFT that I could purchase would allow my avatar in whatever, if I'm in Roblox or Fortnite or yeah, any yeah. game, I'm yeah. in Decentraland. If I have a Tide Pod NFT, now all my clothes can have digital properties like uh. they can have flames or they can be... <laughs> They can move, they can be tie-dye that moves, it's animated. That's right. good. When you talked at the top, DC, about like unlocking digital value, Tide Pods in the, in the metaverse can be yes. anything and they can yes. unlock things that you can't have in the real world. So like awesome you let your point. imagination run. Awesome That's point. Great ad. Awesome point, Matt. All right, Matt, do you have a what's popping that you wanna share? You don't have to, but if you got one, uh, we, we'd love to hear it. I'll ask you guys a question. I just saw yesterday in the news and it speaks to my kind of my analytics uh, history and it speaks to the future of what NFTs are, are doing. I saw, you know, Instagram, um, Instagram kids mm -hmm. has been in the news this week that, you know, project to, to open up Instagram, a version of it for people under the age of 12. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's been a lot of controversy about it. Um, and that they, they said they're putting a pause on it. Um, you know, for their own reasons this week, but it speaks to kind of this web 2.0 phase that we've lived in in the last 10 years about like the role of data. You guys all, you guys all are super versed in like the power of data and informing decisions like at, at Coke, like is that genie out of the bottle and you just, you just can't make it go back in that data is harvested, our data, our behavior gets harvested. Like I've always had this angst as a marketer that what I'm doing is like taking advantage of insight about people's behavior. And like when that turns around and is reflected back to me, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. Like that should be a dilemma for every marketer, but is that genie out of the bottle? Or do you think like there's a way to have a more responsible or a way that people, especially in the US can just feel a little less slimy about being the product or being the content that's being monetized? Ooh, what do you Mary? Do you want me to take that? Yeah, 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 First, yeah, come in, brother. I, yeah, please. It's a great question. And as we as marketers know, there's, there's sort of a, a yin and yang and a push and pull with uh, customization, right? And security, right? And so I'm, I don't know about you guys, passwords drive me crazy. Like we, we have 8 million and I know at some point, hopefully there'll be a retina scan or whatever, but you know, 
you think about all the passwords you have, but then you think about when you have an app or something that you use and you just go in and it's quick and easy and you just love it, right? And so, but to do that, they have to know something about you. And, and we're all inherently a little lazy that way. I'll, I'll speak for myself, right? And so that customization, I love. And so with customization comes all the things that you just spoke to, Matt. And where and maybe, and, and I admit to this, maybe, um, maybe in my mind, you know, I'm rationalizing, but for me, uh, most of that data is really used in the aggregate. You know, they're not saying Matt Wilburn, you know, and, you know, obviously if it gets in the wrong hands, it can, but most of that information is used in the aggregate. And so it's not as, as personal sometimes as we may think it, it is. So that's my thoughts. That's what's popping. I'm going to approach this from two vectors, one as a consumer and then one as an entrepreneur, business person, uh, marketer, consumer. I, uh, I bought a couple of uh, Yeezy hoodies from Gap yesterday. They just dropped. I go, I'm on my phone, I click on Yeezy Gap, and I go to a page. No product, just a page. And it says, first name, last name, email, uh, shirt size. It, it's, I'm like, what is this? What is this? So I close it up. I then go to Gap. I'm like, okay, so obviously I've gone to some like offshoot. Let me just go to Gap. So I go to Gap.com and then they have the Yeezy hoodies. I'm like, great. I'm going to click this hoodie and I'm just going to buy it. I click the hoodie, the same thing comes up. And I go, ooh, you momopokos. Okay. <laughs> you, you, you know I want this hoodie. And so you're going to use my appetite for this hoodie to get my data, yeah. get my information. So I went along with it because I wanted it. All right. I wanted it, but I didn't feel good about it. I wanted right. it, which then leads me to a, a, a quote from Goodfellas. For all of the brands, they do this. They, they want this information. Um, uh, is that if you're going to take my data, and here's the quote from Goodfellas, F you pay me. Okay, if that's what you're going to do, right. okay, break me off something. So that's my consumer. Now, now, let me go on the business side. And we were talking about this, uh, Larry, Jeff, and I, and some uh, uh, colleagues of ours uh, just the other day. And Larry was mentioning this. With regard to data from the perspective of a brand, all right, not, not, not the Googles, the Facebooks, and that kind of thing, but from the perspective of a brand, um, find ways to own, not rent. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They, we, what, what we're being taught because of social media and the fact that it's all database is we're taught to, in order to access this thing, we need to pay you to rent the data for the period that we're paying you. All right. <laughs> and by the way, you're not going to give us any of that contact information. You're going to act. I mean, any of the contact information, you're going to aggregate it and show us how smart you are about our business and we're right. paying you. Okay. So uh, uh, NFTs become, now taking it back to NFTs, becomes another tool. This is what Jeff was saying uh, today. Another tool to own your own data. Yeah. To own your own contact yeah, information. Exactly. You set it up as an NFT to your point about 
a Todd pod in the meta universe becoming all these things, then you can contact them directly for another uh, Tide pod thing in the real world yep. because you own it. Yeah. So that, that, that's my that's response awesome. to you. What's popping, brother? Yeah. Love it. Cool. Wow. How great was this? Matt, man, you've been amazing. Dude, you know, we, uh, we were, you were our first, you know, guest that's really NFT centric. And uh, yeah. I, we're, yeah. We're, so, we're so thrilled to have had you on. And, and obviously, because you have such a great other, you know, great background prior to it that you fit so well into this. And uh, man, you, you were just fantastic. We uh, can't believe we're, uh, we're really at the show close. Uh, no. You, you want to posit your learnings first or shall I? Would you mind, uh, Larry, brother? No, um, I have, I think I have five of them and I think they're all awesome. Um, so oh, yeah. um, so really brands are just scratching the surface on understanding there's great value to be obtained exclusively digitally, as Matt said. Think bits, not atoms, right? I love that phrase, can't say it enough. We're gonna yeah. steal that. We'll give you credit for it, Matt, but bits, not atoms, right? And now uh, also I have these other ones are going to be really what I think, are, as you would say, the meta ones. As Matt has done, brand nerds, say thanks even years later to people that have helped you along the way. And Matt, we had the great uh, privilege. We had one, my first boss in brand, Rob Warren, on as a guest. And I encourage anyone who hasn't listened to that to go back and listen. And I thank Rob uh, privately, but that was so cool for me to have him on the show. And D, we did the same with Steve Horn. For yes. Years, right? yes. So go, yes. go thank these folks who have really been uh, so important to your careers. Um, and then I've got analytics can make you cautious. I think that's a really interesting one to keep. And then the last thing, which is a real meta one, I love what you said, uh, you know, and what are you most proud of that, I, that I've reinterpreted, Matt, that a lot of people have used this phrase before, but I think summarize it. Think about working to live rather than living to work. Mm. Well said. Mm. Those are mine. Mm. Brother, listening to you explain your thought process in work and in life has been a treat. I'm seeing some connections. I'm gonna go um, from current day backwards. Your business is predicated through NFTs and other areas, but let's just talk NFTs. It's predicated on you and your co-founder and team and investors getting comfortable in an area that is uncomfortable because it's the wild, wild west. Some people in their careers, Matt, they operate with a map. Let me look at this map and kind of see where I can go. And there are other people that handle their careers like territory defining. Ain't no map. Yep. I'm determining the territory here. I'm navigating the territory. And when I'm done, someone else will create the map. You, Matt, are, are defining new territories. Yes. So that's one. That's one. 
Number two, you've been a researcher, an analyst, a marketer, a tech person, and an entrepreneur. You've had all of these different types of things that you have done in your career, yet you say that if you talk to your younger self, you would have said to your younger self, maybe I should have taken more risk. And I say, it's a little different to be in all of these different disciplines. You did not have a linear career. So once again, I find some territory defining in your career because of the different disciplines you decided to take off. That's number two. Now let's go back a little bit further. You're an artist. In your soul, you're an artist. We talked about this brilliant four by five foot picture of Ali that I'm looking at now that you painted. You got a scholarship to go to art school, but you decided, um, I really want to do this because I love it, not because I want to get paid for it. And I'm not so certain how well I would take direction, which indicates to me that uh, Matt Wilburn has an intrinsic gift of painting outside the lines, outside the lines. What you're doing with the NFTs and what you're doing in your career right now, you're painting outside the lines. Yep. Except it's not the brush literally now that you're painting with, you're now painting with tech. You're painting with your mind. And that is the connection between Matt Wilburn, the young artist who didn't want to go to art school on a scholarship and the elder statesman, OG Matt Wilburn now, who is a entrepreneur, still an artist. Yeah. That's my take. That's a mic drop, Matt. You, you never thought like, only DC could do that. The way he <laughs> pulled that together is just masterful. That's just masterful. Jade, I think this is a this is an excellent segue for the close. So we're gonna we're gonna hit the close now. Uh, boy, this has been a great, great, great show, guys. Um, everyone, thanks for listening to Brands Beats and Bites, recorded virtually on Zoom in a production of KZSU, Stanford 90.1 FM radio and worldwide at KZSU.org. The executive producers are Jeff Shirley, Daryl D.C. Cobbin, myself, Larry Taman, Joseph Anderson, Jay Kate, and Tom Bureau. If you are, Baba. Yes, I'm sorry to, to walk on you, Dave. If you are listening to us, <laughs> my bad, my bad, my bad, brother. If you are listening to us via podcast, it would be great if you can please rate and review us. Additionally, if you do like the show, please subscribe and share. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and we look forward to next time where we will have more insightful and enlightening talk about marketing with another great business leader as our guest. If you wish to contact us, our email is brandsbeatsbytes at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that is brands, B-R-A-N-D-S, beats, B-E-A-T-S, bytes, B, Y as in yellow, T-E-S at kzsu.stanford.edu.